0: Listening Dog Media.
1: This podcast
2: is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, this is the Offside Rule World Cup daily with Sky Sports. I'm Kate Borsay. The knockout rounds have just begun and we've already seen 10 goals. So after the first round of 16 matches, uh, Spain and Japan, we know, are into the quarterfinals. Switzerland and Norway are going home. I'm with Helen Hardy, who's in Sydney. G'day.
1: G'day. Uh, Sydney at the moment, off to Brisbane after tomorrow's Netherlands game. So very much looking forward to the next few days.
2: I can see you've just resigned to giving me good day now. Uh, yeah. And with us, it's
1: the Aston Villa manager
3: Carla Ward. Hello, good morning. Yes, it's definitely not good day where I am. It's uh, pouring down my rain.
2: <laughs> Less of that. I hope it's uh, I hope it's warmer abroad. I really do. Helen, should we talk about what you've been up to just briefly? And um, because it sounds really interesting, you went to the Angel City press conference yesterday.
1: Yeah. So Angel City hosted a conference, star-studded event. Natalie Portman, Mia Hamm. My good friend Julie Fowdy, who I name a business after, and your good friend of, Julie Fowdy. I, love it. Well, you've got. I've got a mobile <laughs> number now, so I'm, I'm just going to call him a good That's friend. It. You're in. <laughs> um, and it was a fantastic event, really well put together event. But at the end, the FIFA Secretary General Fatma Samura got up to do the closing speech and. I was really disheartened, to be honest. I'm really worried I'm about to get on my soapbox and you two are just going to log off and, and leave me on my own <laughs> going on and on. But, uh, you know, FIFA talking about how much of an impact they've had on the growth of the women's game and the room, I think, full of game changers in the women's space, I think just felt a little bit disheartened by it all because I don't think FIFA really have contributed much at all, if anything, to the growth of the women's game. The highlight for me... Was a woman standing on the stage and directly asking Fatima to create equal prize money this year for the Women's World Cup to the Men's World Cup in Qatar held seven months ago? And I loved it. She was put right on the spot and she had to respond. She said, I'll come back to you. I'll have a look into it and come back to you. I mean, (laughs) what a joke. (laughs) It's difficult. Look, and look, you know, FIFA, we know, are way
2: behind when it comes to treating the game with equal measure. They have up the prize money. We know that there's more money going to players. It's not enough, many will argue. But the only defense I will give FIFA is that even if it's virtue signaling, they are trying to do some things. And there are some women at FIFA who can make a change and should feel emboldened and supported enough to make a change. I think just because Jill Ellis, we can look at, there are other key players there who should be able to make more of a difference and why they're not is probably the bigger question here. Carla, do you get frustrated on this kind of world governing body level or do you? are you very much of the opinion that
3: you stick to your own house? Well, I don't think our own house is that impressive either. So yeah, I think globally, I think FIFA could do a lot, lot more. I think um, as you've seen with the players going into the World Cup, our organis- our governing body could do more how can they do more then? How can our house do more? I think, look, if we even talk about the prize money, they, we shouldn't be going into a tournament even discussing that. You know, it's it's something that should be a non-negotiable. But we, we talk a lot about improving the women's game, but we do a lot of talking without actually backing it up. And FIFA is a prime example of that. And I don't know if any of you watch the FIFA documentary, but you could tell in that there's not too much there's not a lot of focus on the women's game and there's not enough people in power that have a real passion for the game. And I think that's key. You know, when Sue Baroness Campbell come into the FA, we started to see change. And I think that was really important. I think FIFA needs somebody that's going to go in there, not just um, from a business point, but with a real passion um, of growing the women's game. And until that happens, I don't see too much changing. We're
2: basically saying that Sue Campbell should join FIFA, aren't we? Sue for FIFA. Shake them up a bit, <laughs> Sue. But I do think yeah, hashtag Sue for FIFA. Uh, I do think there are some good women at FIFA. It's just that they're not being allowed potentially to do what they want to do. I just
1: want to clarify absolutely. I think there was there was good women from FIFA in the room yesterday at the Angel City conference. I think they're in the minority. I think they said something like 42% of the staff now at FIFA are women, but I'd, I'd love to know how many of those women are in positions of power. It's not just
2: an invite to the party, is it, Helen? This is the <laughs> age-old age adage, not just an invite. You need them You need them eating dinner at the same table as everyone else.
1: I agree, and I think that we talk about the catalyst for change all the time. We talk about what the catalyst for change was, and I think the catalyst for change in women's football has been the people at grassroots level, whether it's been your next-door neighbour launching a girls' club, whether it's been you know people advocating on their social media and pushing it out, whether it's been launching the offside rule long before anyone else was doing a women's football podcast. And I think all of these things are the catalyst for change. So for me, FIFA were still in the dark when these things were happening. They weren't advocating for women playing football. They weren't giving women the platform to play football. And they had the power to do that back then. They had the power to change that long before the people on the ground were making that change. That's why my frustration Comes from. All right. Well, look, we've let Helen get it off her chest. We've had a collective get it off our chest
2: moment there aimed towards FIFA. Uh, Let us know what you think. Please do get in touch at Offside Rule Pod, hashtag Offside WC. We've seen some great action on the pitch. We've seen the elevation of smaller teams, haven't we? Like Morocco, uh, like Jamaica, teams uh, with a lack of funding already starting years behind many of these other nations. We've seen them raise their games. and, And that's what's been so exciting about this tournament so far. Let's get stuck in then to Japan versus Norway. Well, Japan are into the next round with a 3-1 win over Norway. The first half ended 1-0 with both goals scored by Norwegian players, an own goal for Ingrid Engen and a header for Guru Riten. But Japan added two more to seal the win, thanks to West Ham's Risa Shimizu and an absolutely dreamy one from Hinata Miyazawa. We're joined by the Scandinavian women's football reporter, Mia Eriksson. And Mia, welcome along. Should we break it down a, a bit then and, and we'll get Carla and Helen's thoughts as well before we dig too much into Japan. I think defensive errors were a big problem here, weren't they, for Norway. Ingrid Engen, who we, we actually jokingly call on this podcast, Angry Ingrid Engen. It's just a face she pulled in 2019 and we still haven't gotten over it. It's needless to, <laughs> needless to say, she was pretty furious after that goal. She was was played out of position, wasn't she, in fairness? Was it the defence mainly that let Norway down as far as you're concerned?
0: It's so many things you could talk about when it comes to the Norwegian national team. I think uh, if you look at um, and compare Norway to, to many of the European teams at the moment, that is going up against teams that they usually not play they usually, when they play friendlies, they play each other and so on and so on. We talk about playing players out of position. I don't like to use that word. I think that they are being given roles and responsibilities within the teams that doesn't uh, show their best abilities. You can you can play. We talk about it in Sweden with Fridolina Rolf as well. She play as a left back in Barcelona, but her role is not as a left back in that team. So she's being used to her best abilities in that team. I think this is what we see with Norway. They have a bunch of great individuals. We know how good they are, but they can't bring a starting eleven that complement each other as good as you have to be able to do when you go in to play a World Cup
3: yeah I think it was interesting that Risa went into the game talking about how they were going to sit back, which surprised me a little bit because whilst Japan have been excellent, I think Norway are at their best when they step on and they get their influential players on the on the ball. So I think straight away as a group of players, certainly, I know in my environment, if we tell the players that we're stepping on you know people people want to go and be aggressive, get on the ball. I think when you the longer you go without the ball, um the tougher it becomes mentally and physically so I was quite surprised with that. I was surprised not to see Marnham in there. I'm a massive fan of marnham's. I think she's, she's had an unbelievable season and somebody that can really influence uh, the Norwegian team. But, yeah, I, I, just, I didn't quite understand um, England dropping in, making a back five. I think you could have probably kept that stability centrally and nullified Japan's central threat. But, yeah, I was a bit underwhelmed. I'm not going to lie with with Norway because I felt like they've got a lot more in their locker. I don't feel like they played with any intensity until sort of the latter stages, So, yeah, it's another probably disappointing tournament for them and one that they probably need to reflect on the bigger picture and work out what it is they need because that's two tournaments now and there's an abundance of quality and talent in that squad. So, yeah, certainly questions will be asked, I'm
1: sure. Mia, you talked a little bit about players playing out of position and then you also mentioned the world-class quality of a lot of players. And this is quite reminiscent of uh, when Great Britain were in the um, Tokyo Olympics and just prior to that, which I don't can't think of the correlation between <laughs> those two moments. But all I do remember is feeling as an England fan and a GB fan, very, very frustrated with players playing out of position with a squad that I felt could go on to become, say, European champions or potentially World Cup champions playing out of position and, and playing like this. I think you know what I'm alluding to. Do you think that Heger is responsible for Norway's downfall? Do you think that a change of management is needed?
0: I try to look at it uh, from a bigger picture here because I think there are a lot of European coaches that, that have this problem or challenge. You guys over in England, you probably have the world's best coach when it comes to, to using a squad and adapt to whatever opponent you go up against. You see coaches trying things that, okay, this is how I'm going to use you and this is your role and this is how we're going to play. And it doesn't work out.
3: Yeah. Do you think the uh, Norwegian players look like they're playing with a smile on their face? <laughs> I, think, I think... No, like, this is... Genuine... Really, hammering,
0: really hammering this point though. Yeah. No, I think what we see is a frustrate... We see frustration because these plays comes comes from clubs in their daily life where they are used to things and resources and how you talk the mentality and everything and i think they they play with expressions on their faces that okay this is not what we are used to
2: The national setups behind what's happening in each of these players' clubs effectively, is that sort of what you're saying, Mia, that that the Norwegian Football Federation needs to to catch up?
0: I think what they also need to reflect about, uh, Lise Klavenes, who is the president of the Norwegian Federation, is that they, from, from a Scandinavian perspective now, is that you fired and you got rid of Martin Sjögren, who everyone said was the biggest problem if you know what I mean, and then we see it's not. So I think it was quite lazy from the Norwegian Federation to hire Hegerise because I can also tell you this if you haven't read these headlines in Norway, is that they got sources that told the Norwegian media that the players had begged uh, the Norwegian Federation to not hire one from within the Norwegian Federation.
3: I think the reason, going back to my question, I think the reason I say that, you, you alluded to Serena as being one of the best in the world. Well, when everybody talks about Serena, people talk about her man management and quite a few you of know, the more successful teams, nations, they talk about how the managers, coaches look to treat them as people. Naturally, that bring, tries to bring out the best in them. So that's why I asked the question because I think ultimately if they do make a change, is it something now that they don't go out down a, um, a tactical coach route, but they go down more of a, a man-manager route? And I think that might be what that group of players needs because they've got top, top players. And sometimes us females, we all know it, we love an arm around our shoulder. So it, it might just be what they need.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think one of the, the issues is that It's it's just about managing these big stars. Uh, And it's not about the big stars being divas or prima donnas, as they've been called back home in Norway from from, uh, some columnists as well. Uh, I think Scandinavia is all about, we're about the team. We defend as a team, we attack as a team. And then you have individual players that you might be able to use as individuals sometimes. And I think that that's what they're failing because this is one of the reasons I do think that Sweden is so successful as a team because we have a, a head coach in Sweden that that doesn't manage like that. It's an interesting thought, actually. And within
2: camp, there have been dissenting voices. We know that. We can say for sure that the players haven't been happy with what's going on, can't we, Mia? Has any of that got any better as this tournament's gone on. They did rally today, Norway. They weren't hopeless the whole way through. It was surprising how much they were prepared to let Japan be on the ball and how much they were sitting, how much they were prepared to sit back and just give that to Japan. But there were moments where they did, particularly after the substitutions came on, Arda Hegerberg came on, there were moments where they did look like they were you know, really, really, really pushing for it. Although it was too late, there was something there, and I just, I just wonder what you hear from those players or of those players.
0: I think these players have they're proud players to be uh, one of the best players in the in the world. I mean, you have names as Caroline Graham Hansen and Ada Hegerberg, as you said, and when she came on, you could see that. After the three-one goal, I think she turned around to just say, yeah. "Come on now, yeah. uh, uh, this is what you need. You need like like players to to come on and just go for it to the final whistle." Because we haven't seen a Norway that seemed willing to put up a fight till the end.
2: All right, let's let's turn our attention to Japan and what worked for them, Carla. Uh, if we can with you, they've been impressive during this tournament. They've upped their game since 2019, since 2015 even. They lost out in the final of that one, of course, in 2015 to USA. And they finally got to the point again when they're looking exceptional. They're looking very, very clever on the board. They're looking technically astute. And they've got a fantastic
3: range of young players. This is what's so exciting about Japan. They're exciting, that's for sure, yeah. I mean, what he's done is put together a group of very, very young, upcoming talents, as, along with a bit of experience in there and Um, they've been scintillating to watch they really have and they're technical they're creative but the biggest thing is the clinical you know I saw obviously that tweet earlier about seven uh, seven goals from eight shots on target it's unbelievable so um, look it's a credit to them a credit to their staff you could see how united they were when when they scored goals everyone's together they were celebrating with the coach you can clearly see it's a happy camp Um, that's important but look I think I think that nobody's going to want to face Japan (laughs) I think if you're USA or Sweden, you're sat there thinking they're probably the one team right now I don't think anybody wants to face. You know, they're full of confidence. The way they started that game was, was frightening. How do you get past them, Carla? How do
2: you set up for Japan with your tactical head on here? How would you, how would you face Japan? If you, I, I mean, it is going to be USA or Sweden. They've not got, got much choice. How would you
3: set up against them? It's an interesting one because uh, I think the commentator said at the time, I think it was Siobhan that said about... You know they fought Norway. What might have tried to be physical, but look, don't underestimate the Japanese. They're a physical, they're a physical team as well. But um, it's a very, very, very good question that no international manager has been able to unlock just yet. But I think that three-four-three gives them a lot of fluidity, and and playing a four-three-three or three-five-two sometimes becomes a little bit difficult against a well-organized, well dueled team within that system because they've got the ability to drop into a back five, but then they've got the ability to drop into a front five. So. That causes not only problems centrally, it causes problems um, for the back three, back four, and you have to adjust. So in answer to your question, it's a tough one, um, especially against a well jawed 3 3-4-3, three, but I think... I think you've got to try and nullify their threat centrally. I really do. They've just got so much quality, the way they play. And uh, yeah, they're a joy to watch at the minute. They really are. Yeah. Helen, give us your take
2: on Japan. There's some superstars in that team. And one of them at the moment is leading the race for the golden boot on five goals. Hinata Miyazawa pops on four, by the way, then loads of people are on three, including Lauren James. Tanaka, Mina Tanaka is another superstar uh, for them. She didn't, She didn't spend the whole game on the pitch. Tell us what else you like about the team.
1: Just touching on Miyazawa, 23 years old. um, That player has to come to Europe. I mean, it just has to happen. And this is what I love about World Cups is that it kind of unlocks players to be able to make those big moves. And I think the reason why is because there's no bigger stage than the World Cup. So if you can do it in a World Cup last 16 and have that level of composure... And you know why can't you do it at Aston Villa? Hey, Carla. <laughs> uh, the
3: Japanese—they're not the easiest to get through GBE rules. That's uh, the I can—I can tell you that from experience. Tell us a little bit more about that, Carla. Go on. So you have to have a certain amount of points now, uh, post Brexit, to get into the UK. So there's a number of different. It's um, very complex. But, um, you have to gain points, so for being at the World Cups, you will gain ten points. you have to get twenty five points. you'll get ten points if you play Champions League, you get a certain extra points. You get a certain amount of points for different banded countries that you play in. So your top European countries would give you ten points if you played in England, France, Germany, Spain. but then Japanese League isn't in band one, therefore the points will be smaller. Um, then you have to do an English test to set uh, to, to um, prove that you can speak um, English.
2: Yeah, and presumably other countries don't have that issue. I just I'm, I'm just going to blame Nigel Farage. Mia, let's just finish up with you and just talk about what the future of this Norway team looks like. They're full of superstars. They've got so much. It isn't even untapped potential. It's just talent. What happens next? How long is Hegerisa's contract? Do we know?
0: No, but I would not be surprised if she weren't with them in a couple of months, to be honest.
2: That's interesting. That would be a definite blip on her CV, wouldn't it? Really good to speak to you, Mia. Always enlightening. It is a shame about Norway, but um, I know that there are several other Scandinavian there are other Scandinavian teams to follow, so we'll leave it there with you for now. Uh, women's football reporter across Scandinavia, Mia Eriksson, thank you. Well, Japan's last result was a 4 0 win over Spain, and actually, Spain bounced back from that today, I'm pleased to say, with a big scoreline against Switzerland.
3: This is Tash Dowie. Join us for the offside rule World Cup daily with Sky Sports.
2: Well, Spain have reached the quarterfinals of the World Cup for the first time in their history. A 5 1 win over Switzerland in Auckland is what did it. Before half time, Aitano Bonmati had already scored two. Then added to that, goals from Alba Redondo and Lea Cordina, who also scored Switzerland's with an own goal. Uh, Jenny Hermoso made it five in the second half to wrap up the win for Spain. Certainly the first half, but probably the game belonged to Eitana Matti. Should we talk about some
1: Matti brilliance with you, Helen? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the drag, the fake, the p- p- placing it into the top corner. She's so comfortable on the ball. And I was sat here and I thought, who are the three, four, five players of this World Cup, the young players of this World Cup that I think are now sort of teetering into world class? I said it in one of the last pods. Lauren James, for me, is, is entering into that. For me... I know they've exited the competition, probably very disappointed, but Oberdorf, Lena Oberdorf as well, still a top-class player. And then Bon Matti, I mean, how to to dominate a game from that Mm. central attacking midfield role. She's just so, so comfortable and brilliant. However, the opening goal that she scored, I think, was a frustrating one for me from a Switzerland perspective. And I think they gifted her that opener, which then made it really comfortable for her for the rest of the game. Gael Talman makes a fantastic save. And what you want your players to do when you've just made a diving save, literally from one yard away, um, is you want them to clear the box, clear the lines, get it, get rid of it. And it goes straight into the path of, of um, bon Is sat on the penalty spot and she, she's able to slot it home. And that's a disappointing thing for me, but it gets Bonmartie off the mark. And what a game she had. My goodness. Welcome to the World Cup.
2: <laughs> there were some competitive debuts, weren't there? So some first ever appearances, uh, certainly at this World Cup, and I think for their national side as well. Uh, Leia Cordina, a player on their debut, to give away a goal like that, and then to be fair, strength of character to pull it back and score one after that—fantastic. So she's worth a mention, and Spain's goalkeeper as well. Is it? Their, was it their third choice goalkeeper today? Catacole. Uh, she made her debut too. What did you think, Carla?
3: I think Cordina. I felt for her. I'm not going to lie, but it was was a bad error, though, wasn't it? It was. It was naive. She she's not even had a look. She's not had a look where the keeper is. You know, the keeper's positioning is exactly where you would want her. So, I think she's she's just she's not even had a glance. She's she's just turned, and you know, it's a horrible, horrible. She's basically
2: shot it back. She's she's made a back pass in case any of our listeners missed it. Too much power on it. Wasn't looking at where it was going, and into the back of the net it went.
3: Yeah, I'm not sure why you'd even put that much power on. You know, you're talking 20, 30, well, 30 yards away. All she's got to do is slide it back, reset, have it again. But yeah, she's, she's not looked, a little bit naive, but it might be, you know, it is her debut. She's on the World Cup stage, quarterfinal. She's been put in there, probably unexpected. So yeah, but look, how she then reacted, and you saw the emotion when she scored, uh, was huge. So yeah, I Relief. think, uh, yeah, look, she'll get us a bit of stick in the dressing room. I have no doubt about that. <laughs> Um, there is absolutely no doubt about that. So um, she'll take it on the chin because they've managed to go on and win five one uncomfortably, um, But yeah, she'll probably dream about that or sorry, I have nightmares about that for the next few days. I'm
1: sure. It was the best shot on a Switzerland goal or game. So I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: Switzerland very very poor. I mean, I think they were poor against New Zealand, and I thought they were even worse today. They just don't seem to have any
2: ideas, do they, Carla? It, they don't seem to bring anything with them.
3: It was weird. Like they, They're known for how well they defend, how organised they are, how compact they are. They're difficult to break down, you know. But today, that didn't look like the, the side that we've known for, you know, they've had, what, five clean sheets in the last seven, eight games. And you just, you expected more from them. You expected them to frustrate Spain, but they didn't, you know. They defend defended, the way they defended the box and from wide areas was was quite honestly atrocious and I think that you know it's not something we expected from Switzerland so that was disappointing because you think the longer they stay in the game against a, a Spain team that's just lost 4-0 you know might have given them a glimmer of hope but um yeah the way they started the game just just simply wasn't good enough were you looking at Ramona Backman's face during this Helen <laughs> Yeah,
1: a <little> bit. <laughs> she was she was not cutting a very pleased figure I have to say I know I think that Ramona Bartman, probably one of the more experienced players alongside probably Leo Valti on the pitch. And, and they would have been really disappointed with that performance. Let's not even look at the result with that performance. And I think for me, Carla's touched on it, but that fourth goal epitomised it, the corner. I mean, letting a, letting a ball drop from a corner from head height down to feet to just create this scramble into the back of the net, um, which was Cordina's obviously, you know, goal at the right end of the pitch. So she'll be delighted with that one. But I think, it was it was super disappointing for me because that's just an easy release. If a ball gets head into the back of the net, you know who who wasn't marking that player. But when the entire team allows the ball to drop to the floor and then be scrambled into the net, you are the less you are the less physical team. You have had the less impetus. You have had the less strength. And someone just called it a lack of ruthlessness, and I think that sums it up. They didn't mm. have even at the very most basic level a ruthlessness to sort of have the strength to clear the ball and get rid of it on two occasions in the game. I will say Spain were fantastic. I feel like I've just been on, on the, Switzerland, <laughs> the Switzerland attack, but I think um, Spain were fantastic. And just to touch on it, Kate, I know you'll be asking in a minute for my Australian phrase. Someone said to me in the bar earlier, the heaven of Barry Crocker. I said, oh, what does that mean? I need to know. And it means the heaven of Crocker. <laughs> So there you go, everyone. Uh, they're, having a, they're having a Barry Crocker rather than a Betty
2: Crocker. Who is Barry Crocker then?
1: Well, there you go. Betty the Crocker does
2: desserts.
1: The uh, the Australian version, maybe starters. Betty's husband. <laughs> Betty's husband uh, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> they're having yeah. a Barry Crocker. <laughs> what did
2: um, What did Spain get right today, Carla? Japan were really exploiting behind Spain's back line. They managed to find space there. What did Jorge Vilda change up for this game? Thought they're very strong on the left, but what did he change up and what worked
3: for you? I think they got a lot right. You know, there was a lot of focus on him before the game. Making five changes was bold. And I think, you know, I saw an awful lot of comments uh, this morning around is it the right thing to do? Um, And it was proven. I think what the biggest thing that they added to their game today was an intensity. Uh, They raised ball speed, they raised levels, they raised the work rate, which As you know, I criticised last week because I didn't think they had enough in them. And their elements that when you've got world-class players that you know what they can do with the ball, they did it without the ball as well. As soon as they lost the ball, they were all over Switzerland. And so that was really important. So it was something he very clearly addressed, you know, and yeah, given a couple of debuts, which was, again, a bold move, but it's paid off. So Mm. yeah, look, the intensity for me was the biggest one, uh, followed up by the work rate off the ball and the, the desire and the willingness to... Um, to recover the ball as quickly as possible was a real positive for them today I wonder what the atmosphere
2: is like in that team now Helen or Carla, whichever of you wants to take this I know it's a splintered camp, we're hearing that Carla's pointing at
3: me I'm (laughs) absolutely pointing
2: at you (laughs) (laughs) Carla's exercising some diplomacy here Um, When you start winning games, does it make it better,
1: Helen Hardy? (laughs) Thanks Kate I think it depends on the circumstances. And and so in in the case of Spain, no, I don't think it changes very much at all for me. I think even if Spain went on to win the World Cup and now theoretically, mathematically they could, I still don't think it changes anything in terms of the way that the players feel they've been treated. Today, they rolled the dice and it worked out. I also noted that Anabartye played as a left-back today, which I thought was a really interesting move. And as you say, Kate, that's why their strengths lied today down that left hand side. Um, and I think that she's ridiculous, a ridiculous talent and makes a massive difference to a team. Do I think it changed anything on the grand scheme of things? No, I don't. I also think that by rolling the dice today, what do they do for the next game? Do they roll the dice again when you have this Yeah, I know it's level more of, a of risk, change? isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the consistency is key in a World Cup tournament. And they needed to roll the dice because they need to do something after that Japan game. But where do they go from here would be my question. I think that's absolutely fair enough. And, and of course, they did the majority of the game.
2: They did it without Alexi Puteas, who came on uh, a little bit later on, but still uh, with injury concerns. What will they do next? Well, Spain play either n- the Netherlands or South Africa in the quarterfinals, and Japan play either the USA or Sweden. Keep up to date with everything going on at the Women's World Cup in Australia by using the free Sky Sports app. You'll find news, interviews, live match coverage, analysis and much more. You don't have to be a Sky customer to use it. Go to your app store, download it and away you go. And after the World Cup, it's the best app for WSL coverage and so much more, including F1, the Premier League, World Class Boxing, International Cricket and more. Remember, you don't have to be a Sky customer to use it. Just search for Sky Sports in your app store. Carla, let's just touch on the England game. Just whilst we've got you, I'm keen again to tap into that tactical mouse that you have. Nigeria on Monday. How do you set up? for Nigeria what would you do?
3: I'd quite like to see a go with the same formation because the three at the back just give us a, a lot of stability it really did and then Katie Zellum to be fair was in there she she marshalled in front of those three and it just it managed transitions well and I think when we go into the Nigeria game everyone's talking about Schwala and the way that they they transition on the counter I think with three at the back I think that that would nullify it so I would personally like to see a 3-5-2. Yeah, of course, I'd like to see Rach Daly in a front two, but let's be honest, she did fantastically well. She did do very well, yeah. And finds the back of the net wherever she plays. So, yeah, yeah, look, I think um, for me, I probably wouldn't change it other than if Kira's fit. I think Kira would come in for Katie, but apart from that. I don't I think, think she's bad. gonna do it, is she? Um no. she's not she's not there yet. I have no doubt we'll get past Nigeria. Um and then it will be She's called it. Yeah. We
2: like that. Thank you very much. Um well look, let us know what you think ahead of the England game, or indeed about any of the games that we've been talking about today. You can use the hashtag Offside WC. Get in touch at offside rule pod. Next up. Let's look at our Ones to Watch predictions game. Here's producer Sophie with the updated rules for the knockout
0: rounds. This is Ones to Watch from the Offside Rule World Cup Daily with Sky Sports, the game where you predict tomorrow's top player. So pick a player and if they score, you'll get two points. It's one for an assist and for a clean sheet if they're a defender. A goalkeeper gets two points for a clean sheet and three for a penalty save in open play. If it goes to a penalty shootout, it's one point for scoring and a keeper gets two points for a save. Oh, and minus one for a red card or an own goal. We're going to be keeping tallies throughout the tournament for Kate Lindsay, the pundits, the producers and of course the listeners. So keep track of your scores and let us know how you're getting on. You can join in any time by starting with the same amount of points as the person in last place. So pick a player and let's get started.
2: Are you ready? So the scores... At the moment, our producers are on twenty-three points. I'm only four points behind on nineteen, thanks to Hales' pick of Jenny Hermoso. Thank you, Hales. Uh, the pundits are up to thirteen, thanks to Hinata Miyazawa and Lindsay. His last on eight points. <laughs> Helen, you've got to do your best. No rogue picks, please. Here, You seem to have done very well for me, but not for Lindsay. And she's starting to get a bit upset with you. Uh, At <laughs> the games then, on Sunday, playing for a place in the quarterfinals, the Netherlands face South Africa uh, and the USA play Sweden. So, ladies, who are your ones to watch? Helen, you're filling in for Lindsay again. What have you got? I'm going to go
1: safe. I'm going to go safe. I'm not going to pick Sam Kerr. Um, I'm going for Jill Rudd of the Netherlands. had a fantastic tournament so far. I think it's a reliable pick.
2: I've also gone for Jill Rudd too. I've just written, she knows how to handle it when the pressure's on. So if South Africa do spring any kind of surprise, I think you can rely on Jill Rudd. You certainly can. Producer Sophie's gone for Esme Brute of the Netherlands. She's been very impressive in this tournament so far. Carla Ward, what have you got? Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah, same. I'm going with the fact Netherlands are going to win because Daphne is going to keep a clean sheet and I'm going to go for Esme Brute.
2: Very good. There's some doubling up there. Let's see where we're at on tomorrow's show let us know how you're getting on by the way with the game use the hashtag #OffsideWC wc and the handle at offside pod
1: thanks very much to helen hardy thanks helen so next time we see you you'll be in brizzy i will be ready for the england game and fingers crossed through to the quarterfinal carla thinks it's going to happen so it's going to happen do you know what i mean
2: absolutely carla has spoken uh carla i know that we'll catch up with you again soon thanks so much you're welcome pleasure as always Well, this has been the Offside Rule World Cup Daily with Sky Sports. We'll speak to you
3: tomorrow. Sports Social Podcast Network.